Hallelujah. So we are in, um, still in Psalm 37. And um, if you've been here, we've been going through this psalm because it tells us several times through here who possesses the land, who gets to take the land, and, and the land being the promises. And so uh, in week one, we talked about the trusting, those who trust the Lord possess the land. So just, just a quick survey. Um, how many have decided in the last few weeks you're going to trust the Lord more than you've ever trusted Him? All right. Then we talked about those who commit theirs, all their ways to the Lord. Those who commit their ways to Him. How many have decided that they're going to commit more to, of your life to the Lord? And then we talked about those who are patient. Those who are patient. So how many of y'all have had a trial and you rejoice through it? Not as many hands. All right. All right. But we're working on it, right? We're working on it. And then we talked about the humble and the humble possess the land. And those who decide that they're going to think less about themselves and more about others. And if anybody here decided I'm, I need to do that a little bit more besides me, amen. Amen. And so this morning we're going to talk about the godly. The godly possess the land. So I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 19, then I'm going to skip down to 27 through 31. So 16 says, It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. Then if you skip down to verse 27, it says, Turn from evil and do good, and you will live in the land forever. Remember, the land represents the promises of God. For the Lord loves justice, and he will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever but the children of the wicked will die. The godly will possess the land and will live there forever. The godly offer good counsel. They teach right from wrong. They have made God's law their own, so they will never slip from his path. And so here's the big idea today. It's better to be godly. You think it's better than, to be godly than what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's better to be godly because the word tells us here. Now the word here for godly is also translated in some uh, translations as righteous. But we're going to look at it from this word godly. What does it mean to be godly? What's the benefit of being godly and how do we live a godly Life And so, what does it mean to be godly? Well, one, it says that we, if you're godly, you turn from evil and do good. So, when we decide that we're going to be, live a godly life, we know what is evil. And don't we really know what's evil? I mean, there may be sometimes we're not sure, but most of the time we really know in our hearts. And so we make a decision in our heart, I'm going to forsake the things that I know are ungodly. I'm going to forsake those things that I know uh, don't please the Lord. And I'm going to begin to try to live my life in a way that pleases the Lord. So I'm going to turn from evil and begin doing good. It also means giving, the word says here that the godly give good counsel and they teach right from wrong. 
And so in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, there's a prophecy about the Messiah. And it says that the, this, this Messiah will have the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And he will have the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of understanding and the fear of the Lord. And so when we are being godly, Christ-like then we're going to have a spirit of counsel on us that will enable us to give good counsel and teach right from wrong. And don't we live in a time right now when we need our children and each other and ourselves to be taught right from wrong? Because there is so much confusion about what is right and what is wrong. And we need people who can stand up and just with love and compassion and mercy say, this is right and this is wrong. Amen? And so the godly know the difference between right and wrong, and they're able to give good counsel and teach one another who, what is right and what is wrong. Also, it tells us in this text that making, they make God's law their own law. So the, the law of the Lord is the Word of God. And so what it's saying is if you're godly, you're going to take this law... And make it your law. And it's not going to be that this is their law. And this is how you need to live your life. This is how I need to live my life. And whatever this says is how I'm going to try to live my life. Now I know, I know that some of the things in here are hard. There's things in here like when you get slapped, turn the other cheek and let them slap the other cheek. There's things in here like love your enemies and bless those who curse you. That's hard stuff. But those who are godly, who decide to be like God, who decide to be Christ-like, who live their life after His pattern and after, after His modeling, say, this law is going to be my law. It's not just going to be suggestions because this was never meant to be suggestion. We know that, right? It's like, well, uh, that works for some people, but I don't know if I want to take... Let me skip over here and find something else. It's the law. And when we decide to live by the law, the godly, those who are Christ-like... When, when I think of godly, I'm thinking Christ-like. I'm living my life like Jesus. I'm living Christ-like. Then whatever this law says is going to be my law. It's going to be, and it really, isn't that what being a disciple is all about? It's about learning what God's law is and then patterning our life after Jesus. The disciples, the original disciples followed Jesus. They watched how he lived his life. They listened to his teaching and then they tried to live their life just like he did. And that's what we're called to do the same thing. Find out who Jesus is. Find out what his teachings are. And then try to live our life just like he lived his life. Instead of thinking, well, that was Jesus, I don't have to live my life that way. He was perfect. He's different. No, a disciple is one who says, I'm going to live my life like Christ. And that's being godly. It's being like him. Right? And so, what are the benefits of being godly? Well, in this text, it says it's better to be godly than rich. Man, the world doesn't tell us that, does it? The world says, man, get all you can grab. Get it. 
Get all you can have. Have the nicest. Have the biggest. Have the best. Work harder. Work longer. Make more. Buy more. Get more. Save more. All these things. And it says here, it's better to be godly than rich. Because here's the thing. The benefits of being godly, the benefits of, of knowing Christ and having Him live inside of you, the benefits of living a life that is righteous and godly, will have benefits that last for eternity. And all the money you, you can ac accumulate, and all the things that you can have in your, part, in your driveway, and in your garage, and in your house, and in the bank account, well, one of these days, you're going to leave it behind. You're not going to, you know, that old say, you can't take it with you. And that is so true. You can't. And if the Lord were to come back before we die, it's all going to burn. It's all going to go away. And the only thing that we're going to have really is our relationships. Our relationship with Jesus and relationships with each other, right? And so it is better to be godly than have all that the world tells you you need to have. And man, the world is telling you every day more stuff you need to have. You got to have a new one of these and a bigger one of those and a better one of these. And you don't have enough of these, so you need a better one of those. And it's just all the time. And, and here's what the Word of God says. All that stuff is fine. There's nothing wrong with things as long as things don't have you, right? And you're not worshiping. They don't become idols. But the most important thing is knowing Jesus Christ and being a godly person, living a godly life. It also tells us one of the benefits is that the Lord takes care of the godly. That's what the Word says. The Lord takes care of us. When we decide that we're going to follow after Him, and I know many times when we hear things like that, our mind wants to immediately go to, what about this and what about that? And these things didn't seem to work out so great, and these things aren't perfect. But really, when you read through the Word of God, there's not much promise in there that God's going to keep you from problems. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this, in this life, you will have many troubles. And that's a promise that everybody's got on the refrigerator door, isn't it? Yeah. I'm just read that every morning before I go to work. That's going to inspire me. That's, but he said, in this life, you will have many trials, many troubles. You'll have those things. But he says, but take cheer or take heart because I have overcome the world. The Bible says that he will, when you walk through the floods, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. What is, he didn't say, I'll keep you from the floods. I'll keep you from the fire. He, he gives us the shield of faith to protect us from the fiery darts. He doesn't say, no fiery dart will ever be fired at you. But what he promises us is if we will seek him and we walk through life trying to make the law our law and trying to live a godly life, He'll see us through the fire and through the flood and through the attacks and no weapon formed against us. Although there will be weapons formed against us, no weapon formed against us will prosper. And every tongue that rises against us in judgment, so there will be tongues that rise against us in judgment, will be condemned, however, because that's the inheritance of the children of God. And so he does take care of us. And it doesn't mean that we never have a bad day or we never have a challenging circumstance, but He takes care of us through those things. And then He tells us that the godly have an inheritance. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. 
Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Here's what he's saying. There's an inheritance for those who live a godly life. Everything else is going to be burned up. Those who reject Jesus, those who reject living for Christ, those who reject Him as the Messiah are going to end up in hell for eternity. Everything else that we see, we touch, we can put our hands on, we, we can see with our eyes, going to be burned up, gone. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth. But if we are godly, if we follow Christ, if we decide that we're going to be a Christ follower and make Him the Lord of our life, then we have an inheritance that will never be burned up. We have an inheritance that cannot be taken away from us. It's an inheritance in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever with our God. And as good as you can imagine heaven be, it's so much better. It's so much better than anything we can imagine. It also says that they will have more than enough, even in hard times. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But this is a promise that even in famine, even in hard times, even when interest rates are going up, even when gas prices are going up, even when, he says, you're going to have more than enough. That's God's promise. Not my promise. That's the word of, of the Lord. And then it says they will possess and they will live in the promises. And so wouldn't it be great to just walk in the promises of God? Just live in His promises. And listen, as believers, we do. As believers, we can walk and live in His promises where His promises are being fulfilled in our lives just on a daily basis. We're just seeing God move. God wants that for us. And one of the things He tells us in this psalm is those who are godly, who live a godly life, will live in the promises of God. So, how do we live a godly life? Well, 2 Timothy says this in verse, chapter 3, the first five verses. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do or have nothing to do with such people. So as we read through this list, terrible list, doesn't that sound like tomorrow? <laughs> doesn't that sound like right now? I mean, all these things, you watch the news, you turn on television, whatever media you're looking at, it's full of that stuff. And he said, this is what it's going to be like in the last days, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse. But let me just add this in here. But Jesus said this, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
That's the hope right there. Yes, the days are going to get worse, but his church will not fail. His church will not fail. And so as long as we are in his will and we're living with him and we're part of his body, the church will not fail, right? But so what he says here, though, is that you can look like this. This is interesting. You can have all those things and have a form of godliness. You can be proud and abusive and disobedient and ungrateful and unholy and have a form of godliness. You would think someone who acts like that could have no form of godliness, but he says they have a form of it, but they just don't have any power. And so being godly is more than putting on the appearance of being godly. You can, do you know you can go to like the, these fan stores, and I can buy, I can buy a, a Steph Curry jersey, and I can get his sweatsuit and his shoes, and I can, I can't get my hair cut like him, but I can, I can, I love to try, but I can't, but I can wear everything he wears, and I could try to have his form, but I am never going to be Steph Curry. I don't have that. It's in me. And there are people who are trying to put on a form of godliness. For when it works for them, if I'm with the right crowd, I, I know the right words to throw in there. I, I'll, I'll talk about the right person. I'll throw in a C.S. Lewis or I'll talk about a Spurgeon or, or, I'll, or I'll talk about a song I heard on Kayla or I... I know how to dress for this group and dress for that group and I'll put on my Christian t-shirt for this group and I, I can have a form of it and I can smile the right smile and I can even throw out a scripture every once in a while and I can have this form of godliness. But when I'm by myself or when I'm just in my home, I'm all these other things. And what God's calling us to is not just to look like a Christian. Not just to look like a follower of Christ. Not just to put on my godly costume when I'm around godly people, but to be godly. And in order to do that, we can't deny the power. And the power is the thing that God has given us to actually be godly. He has given us the ability to be godly. It's it's being godly more than just having the former appearance. It's loving God more than the pleasure of the world and pursuing the power that really makes us Christ-like. And as long as we're pursuing the pleasures of the world more than the things of God, we're not going to have the power inside of us to really change our character and make us godly, make us Christ-like. The Bible says to seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, or his holiness, or his godliness. And then all these other things will be added to you. What are all these other things? The things that change our character, the things that make us like Christ. And sometimes we pervert that, like, if I'll just seek God first, then he'll give me, you know, the Jeep Wagoneer. That's all the other things. He's going to add it to me, man. If I just seek him first, he's going to add all this stuff to me. I don't think that's really what Jesus meant. Although, man, if God blesses you with one of those, hallelujah, they're great. I'd like to have one, can't afford one, but they look, they look awesome. But those aren't the other things. In 1 Peter 1, 
verse 3, it says, or 2 Peter, I'm sorry, it says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God has already given, if you're a born-again Christian today, God has already given you everything you need to live a godly life. It's already inside of you. He's, he's already given it to you. The Bible even says this, that God's at work in us, giving us the desire to do His will. So not only is He giving us the ability to be godly, He's planting inside of us this seed, this desire to be godly. And so what are some of the things that God has given us that helps us to be godly? If He says He's given us everything that we need, then what are some of the things He's given us? One is salvation and rebirth, being born again. And let me just tell you right there, it has to start there. There is no way you can become a better person apart from Christ. Now you can work out more and you can eat a better diet and, and you can maybe decide you're going to work on some of your character traits and some things like that, but you can't really, really change who you are because here's what the Bible says. He said, the Bible says that only after we're born again do we become a new creation. And when we're born again, we become this new person. And the old things are passed away. And everything is made new. And we cannot recreate ourselves. We can work on some things, but you're never going to overcome those things in your life that really need to be overcome. You're never really going to be able to change those things. And so many people try to approach... God through just being a better person. I shared this a couple of Wednesday nights ago, but at, at school <clears throat> there was a little first grader and he came up to uh, Mr. Allen and he said, Mr. Allen, uh, it was at lunchtime, <clears throat> and he said, can I do this, this, this? And Mr. Allen said, well, were you good at lunch? And he said, well, I was better than him. <laughs> and so many of us try to approach God with that I'm better than him and you know what we can all find somebody that we're better than I can find people that if I want to compare myself to them yes man I'm godly and righteous compared to that person and there are other people looking at me going man I'm godly and righteous compared to him but it's not about how we stack up with each other it's how do we align with this, and how, do our, how does our life compare to Jesus? And only when we come th to Christ through grace and faith and are born again can we really become righteous. Because the Bible says this about our righteousness, that there's none righteous, no none. And then our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to God's. The best, our very best day is still filthy rags compared to Jesus. But through being saved and born again through grace, by faith, we can become a brand new person. And all those things, God then begins to work those things out. And if you think about it, we're saved by grace through faith. We're healed by grace through faith. We get godly character through grace by faith. And we become more like Christ through grace, by faith, as we receive the grace of God in our life. 
and we have faith and we respond to the Word of God in faith and we respond to the Holy Spirit in faith, then God begins to change those things in us and we can become more Christ-like, right? He also gives us things like the Word of God. As we read the Word of God, it renews our mind. As we read the Word of God, it washes us. As we read the Word of God, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see the world. And as we understand His thoughts and His will and His way, then we begin to adapt our life to His way. Instead of always trying to get God to get on board with our plan, we begin to understand His plan and it changes our heart. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the living Word of God. It's, it's not just a historical book. It's not a bunch of poems that David wrote. This is the Word of God. This was like brought down from heaven... Given to us, man, can you imagine if like a spaceship landed in Times Square and said, here is the answers to all of life. Everybody, let me read it. Find out what's in there. Let's, let's try to figure out how to interpret this. What does it mean? And we have the Word of God. And it sits on our shelf. And in the back window of our car, or maybe the front window, but this changes us. This can change. This is one of the things he gave us. He says, I've given you everything you need for a godly life. This is one of them. We don't need to neglect it. He also gave us the Holy Spirit. And as we're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and as we're born again, and the Holy Spirit begins to fill us, it's the, Holy, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will remind us of all the things that Jesus taught us and will bring us into all truth. And as we have the Holy Spirit, as we commune with the Holy Spirit, we talk to the Holy Spirit, and we allow the Holy Spirit to talk to us, and we spend time with Him, He's going to change the way we think. He's going to change our character. The other thing I believe that God's given us to enable us to live a godly life is each other. He's given us the church. Jesus created the church. And He created it not just for him, he created it for us. So that as we come together, just like we did this morning, as we gather at Bible studies, as we gather on Wednesday night, as we gather in our life groups, as we gather just as friends over lunch, and we're, we're there and we're talking about the Word of God and we're praying for each other, it's, it's that scripture of iron sharpening iron. It's, it's those things where we hold each other accountable. And, it's, and accountability is not so much like, ah, I caught you in some. It's, it's not that. It's just that, I know my brothers and sisters expect something of me. And I don't want to let them down. And I want to live a life that builds them up. So in order for me to build up my brothers and sisters, I have to live a godly life. And it, it's not this, I'm going to try to catch you in something or please try to catch me in something. It's just that because we love each other, man, I want to show up for you guys. I want to be, I want to be a, the person that you can count on. And that holds us in accountability, not only to each other, but it holds us accountable to the Word, holds us accountable to God. And as I hear your stories, it encourages me. As I hear your praise reports, it builds my faith. As when you come in and say, listen, Pastor Mark, let me tell you what God did in my life. Man, that encourages me. It builds me up. And, and we just should be building each other up. And those are things that help us to live a godly life, right? And so God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. He's given us salvation. He's given us grace. 
And should we never, ever take grace as an excuse to live an ungodly life? And so many people try to do that. If you read to the Word, though, it's not the point of grace. The point of grace is not to say, hey, get saved, then live like you want. It's, man, take the grace of God and then take the power of God to become more like Jesus. And so He's given us salvation through grace and faith. He's given us the Word of God. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the church. And then He tells us in Psalm 37, those who live a godly life, those who pursue Me, who love Me, who make Me first in their life, they will possess the promises. They're the ones who I'll protect and cover. They're the ones. That I... I before I close, I don't, I don't want you to take this as a word of condemnation. Because the enemy may try to take, your, take you to this place right now. I'm not living a great life, so God's not for me. He's against me. He's not going to protect me. That's not what he's saying. God loves you. But when we live a godly life, we come under his wings. We come under his protection. We come under his covering. And he knows what's best for us. So he's saying this. Guys, if you, would be, if you would pursue righteousness, if you would pursue godliness, I can cover you. I can protect you and I will. And I will provide for you. And I'll answer your prayers and I will do all these things. It's not like if you get in line with me, that, but if you don't like what I do, that I'm against you. He's never against us. He's always for us. But when... The Bible tells us very clearly that when we live a godly life, we can possess the land. We can possess the promises. And God wants to answer every promise. God wants to fulfill every promise in your life. Amen. Would you stand with me?